it's the next level. I wish. I wish. Is you going to say it? Say what? Shut up! You shut up! Listen, she's going to say the words. I can bear it no longer! Goblin King! Goblin King! Wherever you may be, take this child of mine far away from me! That's not it! Excellent, that rubbish! It doesn't even start with I wish! Welcome to another episode of Still Afraid of the Dark. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Rob, from the Caffeine Crew cast of Pods, and joining me as always is Ben Beck. Good evening. So this chapter is going to be a little bit different. Uh, so this is kind of one that we were trying to figure out a title for for a while, and we, we settled on one that worked really, really well, which I think was uh, the, ti- uh, the, t- uh, the Tale of Lost Children. Uh, oh, I thought we were going the Tale with the Rockstar codpiece. That could work, too. Okay. And I, I don't know if that's really a codpiece as well. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> so, uh, But the reason we went with the Tale of Lost Children primarily, though, is because we are talking about Legend and also Labyrinth. So in Legend, Lily loses her mind, and in Labyrinth, Sarah loses her brother. So <laughs> it works incredibly well. Um uh, so I, I guess with that, why don't we? I'll turn it back over to you, and you can introduce our guest for this episode. Sure. Uh, our first guest, obviously coming back from our first pilot episode, is Hi. Kat McIntyre, uh, also known as your wife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and joining us for the first time, uh, our friend Jada. Hello, hello, dance magic dance, y'all. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, like I said, this is your first time on a different podcast for Next Level. So, right. uh, like I said, this one we do a little bit different. But before we get into the whole breakdown of this, we have to discuss our drink. Uh, so today, I have yet to sip it too, so I'm going to wait so, until you announce it. Sure. And then I'm so the drink it. that we're drinking today is called the Unicorn's Horn. Uh, so the reason we are actually doing that, it was actually kind of twofold. Not just because of legend, but um, Jada made a drink a couple years ago, uh, and a lot of people know a classic Prohibition-era drink called the Aviation. And you tweaked it a little bit, added a little the seltzer to it, and called them gliders because they help be able to sip it for a longer period of time and not let it go right to your head. So I took that and kind of tweaked it a little bit by adding uh, another kind of piece to it, which is um, adding a little bit of citrus vodka as well to it, and then adding a little bit more of changing up the balance a little bit is what the booze is. Um, but for this, it's just a creme de violet. Uh, you can use creme de or you can also use creme de violet. Uh, in addition to that as well, we have gin. For this, we're using a gunpowder uh, green tea gin. And then I believe in addition to that, though, too, it is a Smirnoff citrus vodka. And then followed up with, I think we used bubbly brand, um, I think it was lemon, lemon seltzer, lemon, lemon seltzer yep. and then a little bit of lemon juices in there as well. And then, of course, Luxardo, which is the maraschino cherry liqueur. Um, we also didn't do it in the video, but you guys will, just so you know, something you can add to it because it doesn't show up well on camera. But a one little fun thing you can do to add to this drink is go to like Michael's or a local craft store and go down to the candy making aisle and pick up pearl dust. Um, pink or purple would work great. It gives your uh, glass a nice, really glittery bright vibrant color so when you swirl it around it kind of looks like a cloud of glitter and the reason we thought that was really funny is because we said in legend everything is either covered in glitter or is wet so uh the unicorn's horn is now wet and covered in glitter so done and done also very reminiscent of the uh ball scene the masquerade ball scene in um Labyrinth. 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 And I realized I just said ball scene in reference to Labyrinth, which is kind of appropriate for any scene where David Bowie is in. It's not a cod piece. It's his actual (laughs) junk. Um. It is. There's a couple shifts that you continue. You're like, oh. "Oh." (laughs) I was six when I saw that in the movie theater for the first time, and that's definitely an imprintable thing. So... (laughs) Well, we're going to start with Legend tonight because the reason being is that film actually comes out actually one year before it came out in 1985, directed I, by Ridley Scott. Actually, to correct you on that, the release date of Legend, it was filmed in 1985, was not released until April of 1986. 
Yes, because of some interesting things that happened behind the scenes. Yes. A completely changed and tweaked version of that film. So Legend yeah. and Labyrinth were actually pretty close to each yeah, other within were. like two months of each other. Yeah. So it was a, it was a big heyday for fantasy films. Mm-hmm. But again, they both have a really wonderful, creepy vibe, which is why they ended up on the show for kind of Halloween, because it kind of still gets us in that spirit. Um, so we'll kick it over to you guys to start off. So Jada, this is the first time you've watched Legend in a really long I time. I think the last time I saw Legend before this week. <laughs> was when I was about 14 or 15. Oh, I'm right there with you. Yeah, this I, was my first time in probably 20 yeah, years I, I watched this movie. watching it at a slumber party when my friend Colleen was like, oh my gosh, you guys, you have to watch this amazing movie. It has Tom Cruise and unicorns in it. And of course we were all like, heck yeah. And then the scene with Tim Curry came on and we were all like, oh, oh my. Oh my indeed. Um, so Kat, it's been a long time since you've seen this as well. And this is what your second viewing of this movie this is my second viewing of the movie the first time i saw it you introduced me to it um maybe a little over a decade ago yeah over a decade ago and i had enjoyed it at the time but we watched this time around we watched the director's cut and that was drastically better like by a lot. Oh, you uh, and I—we're really, going to have some interesting I'm conversation really kind of in this sad. podcast. Now I have to do a side by side. I have to do another viewing of the director's know, cut right? just to get the different experience of it. Oh, I so, loved it, Ben. This is your first time too. And then once you kind of give yours, I'll discuss real quick the difference <laughs> between the films because there is yeah. some wide wide changes. Yeah, because as as Kat mentioned, we watched the director's cut this time around. I don't remember the difference between the original and the director's cut because, as I said, yeah, it's been over twenty years since I've watched this movie. After I watched this movie, I went online to see what some of the ratings were of this movie. Yeah. Critically, it does not do well. Critically, most of the movies we talked about didn't do well. <laughs> That's though. also it's very true. true. And a lot yeah. uh, some of the movies we've still planned to talk about didn't do very well. Um, <laughs> I can tell you right now, I watched four movies in preparation for some recordings. Yeah. Uh, Legend and Labyrinth were two of those movies. Legend was the last one I watched. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because I was tired of watching movies or I was bored, but this movie did not keep my attention. Oh. It did not hold up for me after 20 years. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So that, I think we're going to have a very skewed... Yeah, we, we are. I actually <clears throat> came into it like not having the childhood nostalgia either, and I really glommed onto it. But I didn't glom onto it hard enough. Like I like After we watched it today, I was like, this is really good. But the first time I watched it, I was like, this was fun. Th- this is the first time, I think, out of all the recordings we've done that... I might not be as favorable towards the movie as that's we fair. have been. I mean, that's kind of, again, what yeah, this is. Yeah, that's fine. That's what we want. So I watched it by myself on a Wednesday night with a glass <laughs> or two of wine because it had been a long day. And um, there were definitely some points. There were some lulls in it. And then there were some definitely some, some points where I was looking at it. I was like, oh, okay. That's kind of cool how they did that. And I really like how they did the practical effects of a oh lot of God. the movie. That actually, for me, holds up. Um, yeah. The soundtrack, because I watched the... American uh, version. The American yeah. version of it. The soundtrack for me really lost points because That's it's fair. so 80s synthesizer yes. Casio keyboard that it really like it took away from some of the fantasy elements and really dated the picture for me. So now let me bring up some points because Ben, it's been a long time since you've seen it. Mm-hmm. Jada saw some of the differences. So the U.S. release of the film, um, they actually had the main producer that was working on the film hated what the film was like, and actually asked Ridley Scott to go back, change major sequences, plot threads, Mm -hmm. and the music completely. So originally, the director's cut has an actual score, so myself, Kat, and Ben saw that version, but I'm very, you know, I've I've seen the U.S. version a ton of times, so I know the music inside and out really well. It's one of those films, like, when you grow up with a sister that's about the same age, in the same (laughs) time frame. My age, Exactly. (laughs) So, like... The two of the movies that we're talking about today are two of the things that were played in our house over and over and over again. But the Tangerine Dream soundtrack is what ended up in the U.S. theatrical edition. And there is a lot of heavy 80s Sith. Uh, synth, not Sith. <laughs> <laughs> Completely different thing. That's a big guy in, like, you know, a helmet yeah, and exactly. stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, but there's this heavy synth. There's also really over-the-top um, kind of fairy tale endings to that movie in the U.S. version, where you watch the theatrical cut, well, not the theatrical cut, the director's cut, and we have a very bittersweet ending. Yeah. Um, so in the U.S. version, you know, Jack gets the ring, puts it on Lily's finger, she wakes up, we see the gump put the horn back on the unicorn's head, 
Mm -hmm. Uh, It stands up in the field. And then Jack and Lily run out to the sunset and wave to all of their friends. In the director's cut, the unicorn sequences don't exist at all. We have a four or five minute conversation between Jack and Lily and her pretty much kind of basically saying, yeah, I I really screwed up, essentially. And you belong here. And I'm going to go back (laughs) to where I'm from. uh, And makes this kind of like half-hearted like, I'll come back tomorrow. And they both know she ain't it's, coming back she's tomorrow. Not coming back. And then it's just yeah. Jack walking out to the sun, waving to everybody. It's very, very bittersweet. Innocence lost. Yeah. Innocence lost. Yeah. Well, I think one of Don't the re- touch the unicorns, <clears throat> Lily. Uh-huh. God damn it. I, I, I think one of the reasons why this movie was so difficult for me to watch is because there are other movies that we've grown up with that we constantly go back to and revisit. So they stay a part of our mind. Yeah. And they hold up because they're, they keep staying what we remember them to be. Legend definitely does. Because unicorns. This movie, to me, I felt like all I needed was a horse named Artax and a luck dragon, and we had never-ending story. No. The Tangerine Dream soundtrack is a very reminiscent of the uh, Never Any Story soundtrack in my eyes because that was, again, that was another movie I grew up watching. I think I saw that movie for the first time when I was in preschool. And uh, yeah, so their soundtracks and a lot of the elements are very similar. But I mean, even like the the smaller dwarvish people were very reminiscent of the same makeup and everything of what we got from. There was not nearly enough glitter in Never Ending Story to even closely They did have a lot of wetness. Yes. There was a lot of a lot of wetness happening in Neverending Story, but yeah, there was not as much glitter. No, no, no. It was it was essentially if you were worried about glitter lung, most of the people on those sets. That's actually maybe why Tom Cruise stopped growing. That could entirely possibly. Be true. I think that's actually what was floating in the air in the forest scenes. Like I remember it's more like, glitter. You know, I was watching this on Wednesday night, and you know I'm kind of getting over a little bit of a head cold, and I was like, oh my god, there's so much pollen, and then I'm like, is that pollen or glitter? Yeah, both, <laughs> both. It could be both. Both is good. Both is good. Both is good. Um, but no, like I, I, Ben, I think you're right. I mean, I think a lot of people glommed onto things like Labyrinth and Neverending Story a lot more than Legend. Legend is kind of overlooked, I think, in the same way that things like Willow is le- overlooked. Oh, that one's yeah, one of my um, favorites. And that I, movie still holds up. to uh, that holds up. <laughs> but it's funny, and you know, we'll talk about it when we get into to Labyrinth. But watching Legend again and really focusing on it um, was interesting this time around, and really thinking about the difference in versions and watching this and I'm like, yeah, this is a lot darker than I remembered it being like, yes, there are slow points because you know, you have an extra 15 minutes or so of the movie, but yeah, it's, it's, it's different. I thought the soundtrack in the director's cut made a world of difference, honestly, because it eliminates that I'm hearing the eighties music. Like, cause the second you hear the eighties music, it immediately dates it. But when you have that like it orchestral, it, yeah. It affects the willing suspension of disbelief. Because you're like, oh, I can hear the keyboards clicking exactly. in the back. Exactly. Like, yeah. But when you hear like, you know, think like Lord of the Rings fantasy, a lot of fantasy chooses orchestral type pieces. Because, because it's timeless. Exactly. And this, the orchestral version, what was the... Tangerine one? Dream. It, no, it oh. was the new one. What was the old one? Uh, the old one is Tangerine Dream, is the uh, the people that did the soundtrack. I don't remember the name of the person. Gold something or another. Goldstein, I think it is. Jerry Gold. Goldstein. Jerry Goldstein. Yep. Yep. Jerry Goldstein okay. did the soundtrack. Right, yeah. yeah. But like that one was just, it was a dark, creepy fairy tale to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I get it now. I get the framework. See, it, it's funny how the 80s music is what dates it for you, because what dates it for me is a young Mia Sara. Since this wasn't, this was her first film. This was the this first was. thing she had ever done. This is before, oh, before Ferris Bueller. Ferris Bueller. Wow. No television, nothing. This was the she first was project she had ever done. Yeah. Wow. I, I will say that. The acting from certain people, namely Mia Sara, yeah. I found fantastic. And. Yeah. As much as there were elements of the movie that I, I felt were really dated and kind of boring, the makeup work and the effects on Tim Curry as the Lord of Darkness were phenomenal. I honestly will say it's like what I was about to jump into originally was saying that watching Legend and Labyrinth together, Legend holds up better visually than Labyrinth does, which was surprising because watching those back to back and I'm like, I was like, do we need to watch Labyrinth? And I'm like, I've seen it a thousand times. Can I recite the movie inside and out? And you see shots where like that green screen and like you see like Sarah on top of a shot and you're like, this looks like garbage. Yeah. Like, oh, the scene yeah. with the fireies? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's exactly the scene. Yeah. But like there's that, but there's a I couple like, other scenes oh, though too yeah. where like the matte paintings in the background all look really rough and that, such. But and at the same time for me, I think that there's a little bit more nostalgia and I Absolutely. feel like some of the practical effects that they did with the puppetry because it was Brian Froud and Henson. Yeah. yeah. Um, that to me kind of 
elevates Labyrinth just a little bit more than it holds up to me. It holds up. Oh, I get that. I absolutely get that. And I I think like for this though, like um, when we talk about legend though, it's as far as visually though, like some of the shots in that movie are just like out of this world looking like, I think my favorite part, and I think Kat and I were just discussing this. My favorite part is where she is just like, she is in the the lair of darkness Mm -hmm. and she's there by herself and he sends the dress in to seduce her. Mm-hmm. And she ends up doing this crazy waltz with this dress. And the whole time, the way it's shot, the dress is this amazing high angled color. You don't see, except for in a one glimpse of a shot when the actress or the dancer is twirling around, the actual face that's covered in like a black glitter mask, mm-hmm. like a full hood. That's the only time that you actually see that there's a person in that dress. Yeah. And that's really incredibly shot, especially for 1985 where they weren't doing, you know, any of those like CGI effects, yeah, uh, or you know, it really wasn't as well done. But that that dance, that to me is like probably one of the pinnacle moments of oh the entire. Because again, it's all those elements of innocence lost. She's yeah. already screwed up by touching the unicorn. She's already been captured <laughs> by the darkness. Mm-hmm. What's next? You're gonna get seduced by this amazingly gorgeous black goth dress, and you become I the know. goth queen of the night. She's like Persephone. Pretty wonderful. Yeah, yeah, pretty well, much. Goddess true. of Spring and the Queen of Darkness. Yeah, both is good. Yeah. Um, and then, like I said, you know, we obviously one of the biggest things, too, is this in this is Tim Curry. Um, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, and it's 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 crazy because in the again, director's cut, you don't see darkness at all until post the dress sequence in the U.S. version. You see him in the very first shot of the oh, film. Yeah. He has like the glow in the dark fingernails, like the Lee press on glow in the dark. Fingernails. Right. And you see like the oh, green yeah. eyes mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. He and does... you get he got like a shadow of his face as he's sitting in his throne and he's t- he's talking to his minions and everybody and then like they kind of fade out of that scene and then you don't see him until he steps through the what is it the the mirror mirror. yeah yeah but you don't get him until about halfway through in the director's cut yeah and the other one like i said you do see him in the beginning of the film but only his arm they doctor claw him like they have him basically like you see his hand reach out to blix the one goblin um and who was covered in monster mucus uh, yeah yeah (laughs) it's that sinew all over him and you're like yeah yeah and honestly, like I said, pretty much until, yeah, you're right, until he comes out but of the mirror through, yeah. is the only time you see him. It's like the shark in Jaws. It's seriously yeah. like yeah. you it's you don't see the big bad. You hear the voice. You know it's there. It, but voice. like, but when <laughs> it comes through, right? it kicks hard. And like, and when you see it, you're like, holy crap, this is stunning. Well, now, the- see, I remember watching this movie as about 14 years old at a sleepover party. And everybody was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. Tom Cruise is so cute. Tom Cruise, blah, 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 blah. And then Tim Curry comes on the screen, on the screen, and I'm pretty sure all of us went through puberty like right then and there. I mean. Because that voice. And, Tim Curry's yes, voice will do that. It's true. It's it's very true. Well, I mean, even even looking at him now, even rewatching the movie, the prosthetics on him are so good and his voice oh is God, so characterized so God, well yeah. that if you wouldn't have told me that was Tim Curry, I wouldn't have known. I would have known by the voice because I, I was a Tim known. Curry fan before that. I would have that. known the voice. But, like yeah. his voice and his facial expression. Mm-hmm. But his voice yeah. is yes. modulized is, is a little so bit, much. But not as much as... The way he rolls he certain letters. That's true. He has such a unique yeah. inflection because even when you hear like the Spamalot soundtrack that he was King Arthur on, like he brings his Tim Curry-ness to that. Like, he had been in so song, many roles in so the well. 80s that I remember watching as a kid. I mean, everything from Clue to he does, he's in um, Hunt for Red October. He's the Worst in, Witch. Yeah. The Worst Witch, yep. Yes. The Worst Witch. Uh, Fern Gully, so many things that yes. his voice is, unrec- is is completely recognizable to me no matter what his face would look yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, it's, but like I said, yeah, I, to this day, I still think it's one of the most gorgeous pieces of makeup work ever done Agreed. on camera. 100%. They had that very, is very well done practical effects and uh, and the, the makeup and prosthetics were amazing. Like yeah. that is what I want my Fey world to look like. Mm-hmm. It is like all the glitter and the wetness and so much and pollen. The, yes, I it, want to it, be sneezing fairy dust out of my face forever. It, it's interesting to me though that for a movie that I wasn't crazy about and I feel like doesn't hold up, uh, it's the same director that has done probably one of my top five movies of all time, which is The Martian. Yeah, Ridley I mean, Scott. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like Everybody Ridley Scott, yeah. you know, Blade That's Runner. Yep. You know, like it's it's Ridley crazy. Ridley Scott's amazing. Oh yeah, like Alien. I mean, a- it yeah. just goes a- on. You talking and about on Alien, Gladiator? Like, there's so many. Mo- Black Hawk Down. He's done so many. Mm-hmm. We'll skip movies. over his version of Robin Hood. Uh, yeah, yeah. Let's do that. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> That's fair. Robin Hood Men in Tights is the only real version. <laughs> I agree. I like Prince of Thieves, but we're getting off topic. <laughs> <Love that. laughs> Very much Love so. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, no, like I said, for me, you know, what are some of the other biggest takeaways, Kat, for you for this film? Like, is there um, anything that like really surprised you heavily? Well, when we watched the director's cut, it surprised me. So when I first watched it, I saw the American version and I thought it was sweet and I thought the unicorns were cute and I liked the like the every the aesthetic completely because that is I'm all about that. But um, I was not it didn't resonate with me but when i watched it with the director's cut it resonated with me because i liked the bittersweet ending i liked that she learned that like if you mess up you have to own up for the things that you do i think that's a really good lesson for a kid to learn and so i thought it gave it a lot more of a timeless aspect than and like it again more resonance than it originally had yeah yeah see now i really 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 want to watch the director's (laughs) cut because part of that like saccharine sweet ending and that tangerine dream song of like and then like the unicorn they crazy glue the unicorn's horn back on and they're like waving to their friends and skipping away as they're talking about goodness and light and sunshine and you don't get any conversation you get them kissing twice and then they're waving goodbye you almost get like the grease flying away in the car ending like it's it's not far off yeah Yeah. i mean there's so much good shit stuff that happens in the middle beep i'm sorry there's so much you guys you gave me alcohol you know um there's so much good stuff that happens in the middle and that whole the whole overarching theme of innocence lost Mm -hmm. and then just to kind of have her kind of get rewarded for crappy behavior Mm -hmm. is a little it falls flat to me yeah so i'm really i'm i have to go back and i really i'm going to rewatch this as the director's cut and see if that holds up a little bit better and then i will watch it with lily and live tweet her responses to all this because that's going to be amazing actually just introduce her to that version you you can uh, you can be like oh and by the way you only (laughs) watch this version yeah only this one uh, ben. My biggest takeaway was that some producer out there saw Tom Cruise in this and Risky Business and said, let's make this guy a Maverick fighter pilot. Right? Because <laughs> this doesn't exactly scream a manly role for Tom Cruise. But- okay, uh-huh. so as I was watching this, two glasses of wine in, I don't mean to interrupt, but <laughs> no, it's fine. I think I texted Rob, I was like, why is he wearing a spangly Kim Kardashian, like, <laughs> like, Chainmail dress. Like he totally falls he victim was to the pigging his armor. Absolutely. He totally kind of falls victim to what is typically known as the female rule of armor, where it like completely leaves major arteries and organs and things like that exposed. But I mean, tell me, like when you look at him in the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. when he's wearing like a Peter Pound Peter Yeah, Pan he's wearing outfit, like a ripped up t shirt. And his his hair is long. Does he not remind you of a Treyu from yes. the Nike from Neverending Story? Which is why I said all I feel like is I need a horse named Artax <laughs> and we've got the never ending story now. Because he's very reminiscent of that character. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, for me, one of my favorite things, like watching it again, was thinking, realizing. Kat, you brought it up when we were watching this. Was how creepy the Fey are in this. Oh my god, yep. I love it. Like, they represent the, Fey so well yeah, they in really it because like, they're all twisted and like fascinating, and you can't put like you any, can't get a straight answer from them. Yes, and like uh, the Gump was, was like. Be. There's that great sequence when they're around the fire. Oh yeah, and like oh the god. Gump is basically kind of like you know asks Jack the Riddle, and it's kind of like you know what's what if happens if I'm wrong? It's like then I'm going to play you your death song. And it's uh-huh. like, I'm going to kill you. Yep. That's how this goes. Faye aren't nice. No. Nope. I mean, like, we even see that in the director's cut. There's another sequence that's there, which is when they're in the jail cell. Oh, I knew you were going to bring this um, up because I was just about to. Mm-hmm. But, like, Luna <laughs> actually keeps him locked up. Um, and when he, she, like, she, like, lets everybody else go. Silly tenant, never forget a debt. Yeah. Very Faye. But not and even honor, the, yeah. But not only, everything. Yeah. So. Not even that, but the whole, like, you know, kiss me element of that, too. I was like, well, this just went creepy, like, really quick. I'm, again, Faye. Yeah. Faye. Faye, Faye, yep. Faye are tricksters. That's what, that's, that's, what that's what they do. That's very much what they do. And we needed a hoggle at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. So, I, I will say, one as a final note from me on this, um, I love Billy Barty. So seeing him in another role, you know, because we've seen him in Willow, we've seen him in Neverending Story. Yeah. Just, I love seeing him playing these roles because like, this is the, is the role he was he's Brown for. Tom, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no. No, um, no, no. Screwball. 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 Okay. Why don't we rate this then? So, like, our normal (laughs) rating for here is a trick or a treat, and we'll start with Cat. Treat. Treat. It was amazing. I loved it. Well, (laughs) can you expand on that a little bit? Why should somebody watch this movie that has never seen this before? Okay. Someone who hasn't seen the movie before, if you are into the whole fantasy element, it does fay incredibly well. 
the I feel like the aesthetic holds up amazingly because if you're into that whole like gothic mixture of fantasy, it is on point for that. And I feel like, again, with the updated version that I saw, it doesn't have the 80s stuff dating it as much. I mean, you still have some of the fashion choices and things like that, but I felt like at least, um, you know, it felt a little more timeless. Okay. Jade. See, this is really difficult because I feel like probably the director's cut that you guys would be a little bit more of a treat than the like the American version where the ending kind of is a reward for bad behavior. I yeah. do love the world building and the elements of Faye. I'm going to totally agree with you on that one. Those aspects are really good and that holds up. Um, but for the version that I saw, I kind of want to say it's a trick and I want to see the new the uh, director's cut and see yeah. if I like that yeah. better. Absolutely. Perfect. Ben. I saw the director's cut. I'm also giving that a trick. Um, oh, well, here's, yeah. here's the thing. Uh, here, here's the thing. I don't want that to dissuade anybody from seeing the movie. I always say, we've said this on other podcasts that we've been on before, see the movie for yourself, form your own opinion. I just personally don't felt like, I don't feel like this was a movie that held up for me. So in that, for that regard, I'm, I'm going to give it a trick. Okay. I'm going to go and definitely give this a treat. Um, I thought going back to this now, I actually, and I, I know a lot of people are going to find it blasphemous at this table. I enjoyed watching this more so than I did watching Labyrinth again. That's blasphemous. Um, <laughs> and by a lot. Like, I actually got bored watching Labyrinth this time. Uh, and it might be because I've seen it so many times. Probably. But it was, for me, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah. But, like, watching this again, I'm like, this is more twisted and more creepy. And I like more twisted and more creepy. Like, honestly, like, Meg, Meg Mucklebones, like, is such a creepy character. Played by Robert Picardo. Yes. From yes. Star Trek face. Yes, yes. One of the only other actors I recognized other than Tom Cruise, the Mia moving, Sarah, and Billy Barty. The moving Barty. stuff in the backgrounds of the scenes, too, was very creepy. Because there would be, like, the glitter people at points, like, in the, the Statues rooms, moving and stuff like that. The statues that were moving. And, like, you could see them shifting in the background. And it was so creepy. And I loved it. Uh, honestly, like, there's a, honestly another scene I just thoroughly love too, and it's like when Lily's coming into the castle for the first time, and Una's basically abandoned everybody, and she's kind of like stalking Lily in a really yes. creepy way in these giant, massive hallways, and I'm like, and it's kind of like, is she gonna murder her? <laughs> I think she's gonna murder her, you and don't I think, know. yeah, she's Faye, and she's Seely. Seely aren't nice. Yeah, neither are Seely, but I mean, it's Faye. But yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. like I said, I think to this day though, like. This still holds a candle of being one of the creepier like fantasy films that I'll I give you exists. that. Yeah, um, and I still think, as Which far I as fantasy it. films, I think there's not enough high fantasy films that truly can kind of last. And I think it's one of the few that will probably be able to remain there. Really need to see this director's cut. I know. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but again, it's purely uh, again opinion to opinion. But yeah, I, yeah, I, I definitely say it's still worth going back to today. Definitely a treat. So, um, but with that. Ben, take us into our next flick. So our next flick, as you have so blasphemously, blasphemously said you did not like as much, uh, <laughs> is Labyrinth, which was released only a couple months after Legend in theaters, 1986, uh, June 27th, 1986, who we, um, anybody who's seen the movie knows Sarah Connolly, or Jennifer Connolly plays Sarah, uh, David Bowie obviously playing Jareth. It was also the her Goblin very King. first role too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yes, it was. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. Um, and uh, and of course, uh, David Bowie's codpiece, which was not a codpiece. Yes, we know. I know. Actual joke. I'm some some running joke. Let me go with it. Uh, but a movie that I'm very familiar with because it was a Jim Henson project, mm -hmm. which yeah. is one of my favorite things about this movie is the Henson element to it as well. So, so. Jada, you started us off last time. Cat, why don't you start us off on Labyrinth? Oh, God. Why are you putting this on me? <laughs> so, I mean, I thought it was really enjoyable. I did think the, um, like, the practical effects held up incredibly well. Uh, the green screen stuff was, like, jumped out to me a lot more than did, like, Legend. I didn't really pick up, like, a lot of stuff that I was like, ooh, that's jarringly cringe. But there are some really, like, there are some scenes in Labyrinth where I'm like, if kids nowadays are watching it, they're going to be like, what is that? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because it's just very old school green screen. 
And um, it's like trying to watch, like, have a kid watch, like, Jason and the Argonauts, the original Clash of the Titans. Oh, Clash like, of the Titans. Oh, yeah, the claymation. Yeah. And they look at that and so like, terrible. What, yeah. what is this? Yep. You yeah. know? Yep. Have some respect. Do you know how long it took them to make this movie? <laughs> oh, I, I don't, doesn't mean I don't thoroughly still enjoy it. <laughs> oh, I know. But, but I also saying, know This it is what like, I would yell at my kid if they were like, what are we watching? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's the thing is like, so for me, I because again, I didn't grow up with this movie. I didn't grow up with the childhood nostalgia either. Watching it as an adult, I'm like, she's very whiny and she needs to stop. Oh, there. They're- You've never met teenagers, have you? But that's the thing. If I watched it as a kid, I think I would totally understand where she was coming from. And I would be like, it isn't fair. It sucks and blah, blah, blah. But unfortunately, I even came as a into kid, it as yeah. an adult. Even as a kid, you're kind of like, she's kind of whiny, and I hope she learns a lesson. She's a brat. And she kind of does. <laughs> she is absolutely a brat in the yeah. beginning no, of this oh, movie. Yeah, she, totally yeah. is. she is absolutely terrible. Yeah. Like, you're like, are there cars in the labyrinth? Because maybe one will hit her. <laughs> and it's kind of like, please let this happen. Well, um, no, she kind of gets some comeuppance a little bit, especially with like the whole, yeah. like, you know, with the worm and everything like that. And he's like, oh, she's gone that way. She should have gone straight to the castle. Like That is one of my favorite moments of, yes. of that movie. Movie, Same. It's good. Is yeah. when the worm says, "Like, don't go that way. Never go that way." Oh. Yeah, they would have taken her straight to the castle. <laughs> um, Jada, what is uh, for you going back to this movie like? Oh, there's so much about this movie that I absolutely love. So Copies. I saw this movie. It's not a god piece. <laughs> I saw this movie for the first time when I was five or six years old in the movie theater. It's one of the first movies that I actually remember seeing in the movie theater. Um, and of course, you know, I growing up in the 80s, loved Jim Henson. So seeing that, and of course, that sort of like planted a lot of seeds of like different fairy elements that I loved. And, you know, like my mom was a really big David Bowie fan. So I already knew who David Bowie was. And then seeing him yeah. on the big screen as the Goblin King was really cool. And things that stuck out, you know, like the... Um, the contact juggling of the glass balls and things like that. Like that is just, that was mesmerizing when you see that. And then, you know, he's like, Oh, I'm just taking your little brother away and you have to defeat my labyrinth. And it's like, you have this young girl and she has to make it on her own. Like she has to find her way. And I mean, I'm gladly she, she learned some lessons and gained some (laughs) confidence, some confidence and um, uh, camaraderie along the way and learns that, you know, you can't always just, you know, say it isn't fair and mm-hmm. kind of go with, you know, just ugh, give up and just say it's it's not fair and just give up. So she has to complete this task in order to get her brother back. Um, and the things that she learns along the way and kind of, it also is, I think we were discussing this a little before the podcast started, but yeah. to me, it's also seeing it now as uh, an adult, you really look at it as she is on that cusp. She's on that precipice of still wanting childlike things and be able to whine and say, it's not fair and stomp and pout off to her room. But also, you know, she's become a young woman. She is learning that she has to take on additional responsibilities. She has to be responsible for her own actions and choices. But also she learns that, you know, you can't let anybody else have power over you. So Mm -hmm. that's a whole lot of growing up that she does. And there's a whole lot that they do with that that I really love. Um, You know, from the beginning where it's like, she's like, somebody's been in my room again. And they take, she take, you know, they had taken her favorite teddy bear and her music boxes. And she's still clinging to these childlike, whimsical things. Mm -hmm. But then she's also reading these plays about, you know, and performing the, you know, performing, even if it's just for her, these play elements of, um, you know, a princess who rescues herself and defeats this king and defeats this goblin mm-hmm. king. That's all part of the play that she's reading that you know, she hides in her sleeve. Um, and then you see things like the trash lady who has all of the, oh, you can't let go of old Flopsy. You can't let go of that. Those are the like the dark twisted elements to me that are trying to tr- like mm-hmm. claw her back into that childlike element and make her give up the quest of rescuing her brother. So then, you know, when she finally gets through all of this and learns that, you know, I can have other people help me and but I still need to be responsible for my own actions and I can't let anybody else control me that is a whole that's a whole really dichotomous flip and she really does learn a lesson by the end of it which is different in the at least American version of legend that I saw so to me I feel like that it you know you get a whole you get a really good character arc from her and a really good redemption arc as well as a rescue arc so okay did you breathe at all during no. that? Okay, I have right. a really good lung capacity. Okay, all right. I was just curious. I was just curious. Um, I don't know if you noticed too, going off the whole like not being able to let go of childhood things, but this wasn't something I noticed until later on in life. In that, almost every character that she interacts with in the labyrinth is a toy is in her in, room. Is a toy yep. in her room. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Uh, Sir Didymus is a stuffed animal. Yep. The dog is the, the same fireys. dog that she has. Mm-hmm. The fire. They're all oh, toys that are already funny. in her room at the beginning of her the movie. Her dress that she wears in the masquerade scene mm-hmm. is is in her music box. Mm-hmm. Yep. And oh my God, that scene when I was six, I was like, oh my God, I need that dress. I'm going to grow <laughs> up and I'm going to wear that dress at my wedding or a prom or something. Now I watch that scene and I'm like, it's eyes wide shut and she just doesn't know this yet. That's <laughs> not good. <laughs> that, that's pretty much, that's very accurate. Uh, for, I mean, David Bowie is wearing some pants. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> it's, it's interesting too to note like a lot of the other musicians who Jim Henson had in mind to play this role other than Bowie he had Michael Jackson he had Sting he had Prince there were a number he was dead set on Prince and it was actually his kids that said no you should get Bowie and at the time Bowie wanted to do a kids movie yeah so it, everything worked out perfectly that, that right. he did it funny yeah. thing about that and I read this recently because um, there's been a lot of resurgence of interest in Labyrinth because uh, Toby Froud did Dark work Crystal. on the Dark Crystal but nice. his father Brian Froud was the art director for Labyrinth and the original Dark Crystal and he was the baby mm-hmm. so um, they're talking about you know, they were talking about Sarah, and as she's at that point, she's at that precipice of, you know, she still wants these childlike things, but she's also like, oh, I'm developing crushes on rock stars. So they really wanted somebody who was, who had that star appeal and that like rock star over the top look with the hair and like the makeup. And uh, they actually admit that they did get in trouble for the tightness of his pants. I'm sure they did. Um, but you know, like even, even like his staff that he's holding looks like a microphone and he has that kind of like, you know, even as a villain, he has that sex appeal, and he's a, he's a very alluring villain. I mean, and I think Sting probably would have worked had Jim Henson gone with that. I could Prince see Sting. and Michael Jackson. I don't think would have worked nearly as well. I could totally see Prince, well. but Prince, Prince Sting, Sting kind of. Pr- I could see Rain. Prince. I could see, see it working Prince for Prince more than Sting because, um, again, David Bowie has that like. I mean, he kind of toes the line with gender fluidity. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And, and so, Prince did too in a lot yes, of ways. So I can did. definitely see so that. So that's with why Prince. I could see that yeah. like correlating really well. Because yeah. that was part of the whole appeal is he's this like other. You know what I mean? He's like, otherworldly. Really cool. Mm-hmm. For me, though, when it comes to the movie and my appeal to it, it, it it's definitely Henson esque. I mean, I was always yes. a big fan of the Muppets. Uh, you know, and they so, throw some a lot of good, a lot of good comedy into it as well. Too. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we mentioned the worm; that was part of it. Uh, you know, uh, scenes with with Ludo and Hoggle were just as funny. The door knockers were funny. Like, mm-hmm. and I still to this day, I still can't get the riddle of the the door guards. <laughs> I, I, oh, every time I, I listen to this, this is just nonsense, and yeah, I'm going to turn my brain off. Exactly, no, it's, that's fine. Uh, but you know, like this was the final director, the final movie that Jim Henson ever directed. Uh, but I mean, aside from the Henson Aww. stuff, there's so many visuals in the movie that are just stunning to me. I mean, there's one scene in particular in rewatching this with the rock formations where oh, you stare at them one yes. way and they look like the face of Bowie. Yeah, oh, and I then love it that. shifts and they're just normal rock faces. And I'm like, oh yeah, and that's still too. I, I love that shot. Yeah. that's still just perfect because it's one of those things. Like, I, I don't know when I really picked that up. It was probably maybe a couple years ago. For, oh, it was the first time, and I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah. I said yeah. face of Bowie, and my mind for some reason went to Doctor Who, Who? for a minute. Face of Bowie, no face of Bowie. But you know, like I said, you know, like um, you know, the Fireys. Pretty much, when you get to those, the, like those characters. Though, what's interesting is even some of the voices you hear are some of the voices you hear in like the Muppet Babies yep. and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And you're really? like, that's amazing. Yeah, oh, yeah, like some some of the voices for some of the those characters and creatures are voices we ended up hearing on the Muppets. And cartoons and stuff like that, which was kind of fantastic. Well, Brian Henson was a voice oh, yeah. of one yeah. of the goblins. Uh, Dave yep. Goles, who's who's done a ton of Muppet voices. Yep. I mean, a lot of those Jim Henson movies always use a lot of the same right. puppeteers and voice actors. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And just the puppetry for for me, the like the puppetry elements of it, just the entire thing. Like you're talking about, like the individual goblins, and no two are alike. Like no, they're, all they're all very individualized, different. very different. Well, that's what um, blew my mind with the helping hands oh, yeah. too, because the helping hands, there's that's no such a wonderfully delightfully yeah. creepy scene. It is. It's, so it's puppetry. Yes. Puppet and then she ends up in the oubliettes. That's one of those things where it's like that to me was like creepy as a kid. You're like, oh my god, I'm gonna get trapped in an oubliette. Yeah. And I'm gonna like forget everything that I'm supposed to be doing and just want to stay trapped in this hole forever. Yeah. Like, but the puppetry of the Helping Hands is nothing more than latex gloves and gray paint. Yep. I mean, it's and it's brilliant yeah. because mm-hmm. there's so many different ones that she interacts with, and every one of them is different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's a great. Cool. Sh- I mean, to this day, it's still a great, jo- uh, great shot, and it's still entirely creepy. My favorite still is actually the false alarm faces uh, when they're like leaving <laughs> the oubliette. <laughs> yes. I was just kind of like, oh, it's like please. Oh, please, it's been so long and. <laughs> Well, that brings up an interesting question that I'll pose, I'll pose to every one of you, and I'll go around this time, and I'll start with Rob on this one. Favorite character from the movie? Ludo. Okay. Without question. Like, he, it's like a giant puppy dog that you just want to hug. 
Okay. You know, it's it it feels like everything that you love about characters like Chewbacca and then like your household pet and you find ways to combine them. You know, it's like I said, it, it just worked incredibly well for like my mind when I was growing up. Like it was like there was a little bit of like that Star Warsiness because of like we have this really dramatically interesting cast of characters all mm. throughout this, but like there's that, like I said, that wonderful Muppety quality to them, which, like, even, like, you see Ambrosia. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, and, like, that's a Muppet at certain scenes, and then there's certain scenes yeah. it's a dog. Yep. But, like, when you see it, it plays with your head in the same way, like, we were, like, you think about Fraggle Rock, and, like, was the dog in Fraggle Rock always a Muppet, or was it an actual <laughs> dog sometimes? And, like, you can't re- recall. You can't remember. Because yeah. they just do such a great job of blending it, but, like, you forget when you watch some of these characters, even growing up, that these aren't real things. And I think that's one thing, I think, that, you know, where we talk about legend like legend like you know that's a person in a suit with like you know latex like you know stuff like that but monster like when you, mucus covering them right yep. <laughs> but like you look at like i would say the characters in labyrinth and you're like how many puppets did they make for this thousands because well, well, even in the the dance magic scene i think when i read is like over 60 puppets easily yeah. Uh, yeah. in just in that scene alone right but I mean, it, it's stunning, though. I mean, like, uh, I, it's hard to always pick a favorite. But if I had to, it would always be Ludo. Yeah. Okay, Cat. Mine's actually the same thing. We were both watching it, and we were like, "Oh, Sarah, so friend." Puppy. I know. I'm just. It was such. And it's adorable. Hard not, adorable. It's hard for me still. That Puppet. sequence when she's like with the door knockers, and he like he, she turns over, and he's got like the, <laughs> the thing ring in his, in his mouth. mouth. <laughs> and like, and it's, I always laugh because it's still the cutest, it's most endearing so shot I think in the entire movie Agreed. to this day. It's adorable. <laughs> what about you, Jada? So my favorite character is actually Jareth the Goblin King because he is such a good <laughs> villain. Like, of course, you want to root for the heroine. Like, I, I loved Sarah as a little kid. Because, you know, she's the she's the spunky young heroine and she defeats the Goblin King in the labyrinth and gets her little brother back. Spoilers. But <laughs> um, I just, I love Bowie in that role. He's amazing yeah. from start to finish. And whether it's, you know, the songs, the scenes where he's, you know, the dance magic dance or even the, uh, the masquerade ball scenes, it's just... Every shot with him is amazing. And he's, you know, even when he's like, no, don't turn back. Like, <laughs> he's just, it's brilliantly, it's brilliantly delivered in every aspect. And it's yeah. just, you got to love David Bowie. You just have to. Here's an interesting question before I give you mine. Does she beat the Goblin King or does she simply win her brother back? I think she simply wins her brother back. I don't there's think actually, she ever defeats him. There's a really yeah. wonderfully cool, creepy fan theory about this that he is, you know, being that he's the Goblin King, he is he's uh, immortal and that every so often he becomes obsessed with a mortal girl and of course what is a very common name is Sarah so he has to find some way of enticing her and you know stealing a loved one usually a child that's either a sibling or maybe even her child depending on you know mm-hmm. the mortal girl and then taking it to the labyrinth and then she either rescues the child or the child becomes a goblin and that's why there's so many goblins Okay. All right. So it's a really fun, interesting fan theory. Um, I'll have to find, I'll send it to you in like That's a messenger cool. or something okay. like That's that. Cool. But, um, or I can post it to the Caffeine Crew Facebook Yay. page. But yeah, there's a, it's a really, it's, there's like this whole essay about it, about like how they're all named Sarah, because of course they're all named Sarah. He <laughs> always finds a mortal girl named Sarah to obsess over and, you know, lure into the labyrinth. And whether or not she makes it out. She makes it out. My theory is that the goblins eventually become the monsters, uh, namely Howie Mandel, and they all come up from <laughs> underneath people's beds. Uh, and Fred Savage becomes part of the mix a little bit later, too. I mean, for me, this was just, honestly, it was Jareth's ploy to sell a whole bunch of wooden toys with a marble, but honestly, that's yeah. just me. That's uh, but as far as my favorite character, uh, Sir Didymus. I, I, I love, love Sir Didymus. <laughs> he's uh, amazing. He's so Fun. high energy and so confident. Like, and it's just, so courageous. Yes. He's a so uh, courageous he's, for a Chinese crested. Like, he's just ha- amazing. Hoggle is a close second, but Sir Didymus has always been my favorite character oh, from the Hoggle, from the I found a little weak-willed. Like, I, yeah, I like his redemption yeah. arc, but, the, you know, when he feeds her the peach to try and trick her out of, you know, going out of the labyrinth and everything like that, like, his, his, his weakness of character always yep. kind of made me, like, a little, ugh, I don't yeah. like him as much. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Very yeah, yeah, very disappointed. I like his redemption arc, Mm -hmm. and um, you know, talk about like waving to your friends as you're walking uh, as the movie ends and everything like that. It always gets to me when she when she sees them in the mirror when she's back in her room. The Shujanitas. Shujanitas. Yeah. Like every time I well up. Every time. But start to finish, you're right. I mean, there's 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 so much. Like you said, character development from multiple characters. There's humor. I mean, even in the beginning when she's 
it there's this whole serious element where she's talking about like how she wants the goblin through dangers untold (laughs) and then but you have the goblins in the closet that are like did she say it yes like it's it Uh automatically brings in an element of humor that i still chuckle at yeah right because she comes up with this like flowery speech of like (laughs) those aren't the words goblin king goblin king and they're like just say i want the goblin king to come and take you away right now is that so hard (laughs) (laughs) but it's also it's nice though too because like it it breaks the tension of like the the like the over dramaticness of of her character because at that point in time it's starting to grate on you really heavily Mm -hmm. and it's like they break that tension quickly but Mm -hmm. but that's the objective of her character is to be that grating because she has to learn something Mm -hmm. it's it's the whole purpose you go learn Yep. But like you still go back and watch it now and you're like, oh God, no, I can't deal with this. It's like, can we just like skip like 10 minutes? As soon as she gets in the labyrinth, we're cool. Yeah. You know, when it's all those little weird creepy eye things like staring yes. at her. Yes, that's perfect. Yeah. And she's like running through and it's like, how is this a labyrinth? Yeah, pretty much. She has to learn. Things yeah. are not as they seem. Pretty much. Um. So time to read? Sure. Okay. Uh, starting with Kat. Um, you know what? I'll give it a treat. Even though it didn't hold up as, I mean, I guess I say hold up, but I hadn't watched it until I was like in my 20s and then rewatched it now. So I think like the green screen makes it a little tricky, but I do think the practical effects make a big, big, big dent in that because they hold up very well. So My turn? Um, I definitely rate this one a treat because I think, you know, if we're looking at one versus the other, Bowie's music is always timeless, and Dance Magic Dance is always going to be still a crowd pleaser. Absolutely, <laughs> it's in my playlist Absolutely. on my phone. Absolutely, it's it's on my playlist for my uh, my birthday party coming up. So that's <laughs> that's like a thing. Like that that song will always get people excited. It's it's everything about the movie. Okay, okay, the green screen is a little dated, but I'm willing to forgive it given all the amazing <laughs> practical effects and the good character arcs and David Bowie <laughs> and his codpiece. It's not I a know it's piece. not a cod piece. <laughs> it's his actual junk. <laughs> Ding. So uh, I'm giving this a treat as well. I mean, again, it's a Henson product, a product which, in my opinion, I don't think there's ever been a bad one. Um, we're going to be talking about another Henson project in another chapter of this podcast, which um, you know which one we're talking about. No. Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell you when we're done. <laughs> okay. Um, but it's... Um, Visuals. I mean, even the entrance to the labyrinth is an optical illusion, but it's a real illusion. There's no green screen effect to it. It's a practical effect to hide an entrance to a labyrinth. Yeah. And it's one of those ones you don't see until she actually steps through it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, from everything from the visuals to the humor to the storytelling to it being just Henson's fingerprint all over it, it's a treat. Um, I'm definitely going to still give it a treat. Uh, I will say... You know, you guys mentioned Dance Magic Dance. That's essentially turned into Sweet Caroline for me or Paradise by the Dashboard Lights where I'm like, I'm like, there is really other great music in this movie. And oh, the opening song is. But it's all forgotten. Like nobody, nobody ever sings those songs. And it's this kind of like, this movie is more than just this scene. And it drives me nuts that that's the go-to for everybody. I I have to correct. It's kind of, it's like for me, like I, I think it's also one of those things is because I've seen it so many times. It's kind of like the only other movie I think I'd probably could say I've seen more is probably Rocky Rocky Horror Horror and maybe the princess bride. Yeah. And, but for me, it's like, I think that's why I think it's, hard to hold my attention as much because of how many times I've seen it. And I think that's why it's tricky. But like, you know, Princess Bride, I think is one of those things I will never lose any love for that's at ever. all. It's, so it's too perfect. It just remains timeless and amazing. Tis a shortage but, of perfect movies in this world. Well, yeah, I, I loved that fact that his recent <laughs> interview, uh, which was amazing. But like, I, I do think this is one of those ones that will always forever last. But I do think that it's going to have a more difficult time the further and further we get away from when it was made. Uh, Because you have a movie that very much starts one way and then it shifts into a musical and then it goes back into being something you're like, I thought this was a musical. And you're like, it's kind of not. And then it goes back to being a musical again. You're like, what is happening? I don't know what's (laughs) happening anymore. But that's what it does, though. It it, it subverts expectations a lot, which is really cool. Yeah, pretty much. Um, But it's it's interesting to, to go back and look at it. And it's one of those things that you hope that people will maybe find a way to eventually one day go back, look at the scenes that don't look great 
remaster and remaster yeah not redo it remaster yeah i want a 4k remaster of like yeah like heavy yeah like heavy work that can be done and i think it would be great to see that stuff so a mutual friend of ours from like high school and college doug johnson and i actually had a really funny exchange this was like years ago we were watching this movie probably in a college dorm room somewhere and um we were talking about the dance magic dance scene and um, we're saying, you're talking about like, you know, when he's tossing baby Toby up in the air, which is very clearly a doll. I'm still willing to forget. What? what? <laughs> no, it is. I know. Yeah. And we're discussing, we're talking, we're like, you know, it's probably like Brian Froud and Jim Henson are off screen going like, I can't believe you're letting David Bowie just throw your kid around in the air like that. No, I no, didn't no. trust David Bowie. I didn't trust kid. David Bowie. That is a Muppet that I made. <laughs> Sir, I sewed that leather myself. <laughs> <laughs> talking about that. And um, oh, that's amazing. Yeah. But I, I also have to note real quick too. I, I just a quick correction. I have four songs from the Labyrinth soundtrack in my playlist. Fair because nice. there are more, like you as you mentioned, there are more than one other than just Magic Dance. I actually yeah. really like the Un- song from Underground the... within you and as the world falls down mm-hmm. are the three the are the four that I have. Like That's my, my favorite. Favorites. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, honestly, like I said, though, still a great movie and it's wonderful to go back to and it's it's impossible to not watch something like that and Legend. Like I said. During this time of the year, it's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's it's that great speed up into getting towards Halloween. Like it's perfect that we're kind of closing that one out to close our out our September, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll be gearing towards the other heavy Halloween stuff right after that, right around the corner. So, um, but yeah, uh, I think with that we can kind of say our goodbyes. So before we actually fully do that, we have a special thanks to do and a good friend, uh, good friends to the show uh, and. Good friends of ours as well is Sarah and Taylor from This Way to the Egress, and we want to say a big special thanks to them. Um, you hear their music in the beginning of every one of these episodes and also at the closing. Make sure to definitely check out their work. Again, you can find them at This Way to the Egress. That's spelled E-G-R-E-S-S, and that's dot com. Make sure to go over there, check out what they're when they're touring. You can check out some of their music. Also, jump over to their Patreon to help support them. Important note, too, they also um, are the music at the beginning of all of our video aspects too yes uh, with the dream the same opening of the podcast Uh, and they actually just officially um, started releasing their special Patreon project which was them doing the special stuff from Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark Mm -hmm. so if you jump over to their Patreon you can go ahead and support them and be able to start getting access to that I think starting this coming week so make sure to check that out Uh, but without further ado we're going to say goodbye and we'll see the two of you guys back here in just a couple weeks when uh, you guys come back to return to do Hope's Pocus and The Witches the other Jim Henson project oh that is true that is is the other Jim Henson Ah. one come to think of it but yeah but until then uh, like I said we'll see you guys again for next week's episode which I believe is our one we're doing that's uh, Monster Squad and I believe Young Frankenstein yes yes you are correct that is next week's chapter so (laughs) Uh, so we'll see you then. Bye.